Last year, over 20,000 Cambodians were granted work visas in Malaysia. Over 80% of them were coming to the country as domestic workers. On today's underreported segment, the second one, we will find out how these women are recruited, what happens to them once they arrive in Malaysia, and why so many of them are vulnerable to abuse. And joining me now is Nisha Varia, a senior researcher for Human Rights Watch, who's contributed to a recent report on the situation of those Cambodian workers. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to our show today. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Has Cambodia always been a major supplier of laborers for Malaysia? No, and this is one of the reasons why many of those who are migrating today are facing a lot of abuse. Actually, most of the domestic workers going to Malaysia were from Indonesia, and there were so many cases of abuse, and the Malaysian government wasn't responding to those, that Indonesia actually imposed a two-year ban on sending any of their citizens to Malaysia. And that's when they started recruiting from Cambodia instead. And are there any other countries that are supplying workers for Malaysia? There are some domestic workers from the Philippines, uh, but the vast majority had been coming from Indonesia. And why Malaysia? Is the economy booming there to the point where it needs to import foreign workers? Malaysia is relatively wealthier than its neighbors in Southeast Asia, and many more women in Malaysia have been entering the workforce and were needing people to take care of their kids at home and clean their homes as they didn't have accessible daycare. So Cambodia is a good place to go because it has such a high poverty rate? That's right. Many of these women and girls were migrating because they had no jobs at home and were really just looking for a way to put food on the table. How much of that is the legacy of the disastrous years under the Khmer Rouge? Has Cambodia ever recovered? Unfortunately, no. And there are there's endemic poverty. Uh, very few opportunities for women and girls to pursue higher education, uh, to get uh, good job opportunities. And one of the other problems that's really uh, affected women's ability to, to, have, to live their lives in dignity is the level of corruption uh, in the government. What are these women told about the jobs that they'll have in Malaysia? And are, is it only women? Are men also being enlisted to work in domestic jobs, menial jobs in Malaysia? No. For men, you find many of them uh, going to Thailand uh, to work as fishermen or in agriculture. But for Malaysia, it's specifically women because they will be living in the households where they are working, taking care of kids and the elderly. And they are promised a two-year contract. Um, They're often promised that the job will be really easy and that they'll be treated well, uh, that they'll get a certain salary. Uh, But what actually happens is that they tend to work 16 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. They often get only a fraction of the wages they're promised. Although they've signed contracts? Although they've signed contracts, and that's one of the problems, is that many of them never receive a copy of this contract. And once they go to Malaysia, they may be presented with another contract. Uh huh. And uh, do these contracts simply make it harder to prosecute the recruiters because of what they say? Well, unfortunately, there are simply not many prosecutions at all, and many of the recruitment agencies have close links to government authorities, and I think that close link and the economic interest of many labor authorities in Cambodia is one of the reasons why we haven't seen a big crackdown. So is the corruption on the Cambodian side or on the Malaysian side? Uh, The Malaysian government uh, has to be aware that there are problems. Yes. The... 
links that we see in terms of recruitment agencies and the government, we, we see it pretty strongly in Cambodia. But we also see problems on the Malaysian side in terms of leaving these workers out of the labor laws. and The contract effectively indentures them to the recruiters. That's right. Most of them actually go on these two-year contracts, and they pay this upfront recruitment fee, and uh, the agreement is that they don't receive any payment for the first six months to pay off those recruitment fees. And so, and this is something that uh, is condoned by, by both governments. Uh, and so a uh, you know, 19-year-old Cambodian will go to Malaysia and not expect to see a single cent until month seven. You say a 19-year-old. Doesn't Cambodia have a law that uh, requires these women to be 21? Actually, Malaysia requires these workers to be 21, and Cambodia requires them to be at least 18. Uh, but what we have seen is that the recruiters are totally ignoring these minimum age requirements. And 13-year-olds are going. Sometimes as young as 13. We've seen many 16- and 17-year-olds, and, uh, you know, the younger they are, the more vulnerable they are to abuse. Aren't uh, village leaders also uh, pressuring these girls to go because uh, they, they'll they earn money and then be able to send it back to their families? Yeah, there's a couple things at play. I mean, sometimes village leaders actually receive a commission any time that uh, a woman or a girl from their village goes abroad, so that's one incentive. We also talked to some village chiefs who said, you know, the parents of these girls came to us crying because they simply had no money, they were looking for a way to survive, and they asked us to alter the age of these girls on their documents uh, to help them find a way to earn money. My guest is Nisha Varia, a senior researcher for Human Rights Watch. We're talking about the exploitation of Cambodian domestic workers on our second underreported segment today. How much time do these women spend in Cambodia at training centers after they sign their contracts? This is something that many of them don't expect. They expect they sign up for a job and they're going to Malaysia the next day. But in fact, many of them are taken to these training centers where they can spend months, often three to six months, and uh, supposedly to learn how to cook and clean. And, and uh, It takes that long to teach a young woman in Cambodia how to cook and clean? Well, they're not re actually receiving much training. Uh, and, you know, some of them are coming from villages where they may not have electricity, where they haven't operated a vacuum cleaner or a dishwasher and do need to learn uh, some of those skills. Uh, but what it also ends up being is a de facto detention center. They're not allowed out. They're locked inside. And if some of them want to change their mind, let's say they don't want to go to Malaysia anymore, they're prevented from returning home. Some of them are supposed to be learning English as well, aren't they? Yes. Is Malaysia, Malaysia, uh, do people speak English mostly in Malaysia as it, a second language? It really depends. There are many English speakers. Um, at times, uh, it depends on, on the household where they'll be working. They should learn Malay or Chinese, uh, given the Chinese population in Malaysia. And you report some pretty terrible stories about the training centers, medical tests being run on these women without their consent. Some have even tried to commit suicide. That's uh, right. Uh, others have died? Others have died. Uh, what happens is that uh, these women are locked in these training centers. Many of them become quite desperate. They don't want to go. 
and uh, or they may find out about family members who are sick and they have no way of leaving. So many of them have uh, tried to escape by jumping out of windows or when they've asked for medical help when they're sick, they, they haven't been given that assistance. Are all the stories bad? No, not all the stories are bad. Uh, you know, this is one of the few sectors where there are many opportunities for women and where in if all goes well, they would earn much more than they're earning at home. There are success stories of people who go abroad and come home and build new houses. But the problem is, is that the cases of abuse are pretty numerous. And, uh, and what are the, the biggest complaints of the women about their treatment once they get to Malaysia after these, uh, these training centers? The most common abuses are about unpaid wages and uh, excessive work hours, literally not having a minute to, to sit down and rest, not having a day off, uh, you know, not getting enough sleep. Other types of complaints involve not getting enough food, not being allowed outside of the house. So once they go to Malaysia, uh, they often don't have any way of getting out, going back home? Yes. Are they in touch with their families at least? Uh, many of them are forbidden from contacting their families. They're not allowed to use the phone. They're not allowed to reach out to other Cambodians in Malaysia. And what we found by interviewing many of their family members is uh, they really felt like their uh, sister or mother who was in Malaysia had just disappeared and had gone missing. And many of them hadn't heard from them for, for months or years. Aren't there labor laws in Malaysia? There are labor laws, but they do not cover domestic workers. Uh, these workers are excluded from the main provisions, which you know demand that workers get a day off once a week. And uh, they've really resisted the calls to, to include them. So how do these women break free? Do they just have to run away? They do have to run away. Uh, do, do, they, do they get caught and sent, sent back to the people they have tried to escape from? One of the problems is that the only person they often know is their recruiter. And so when they are facing abuse from their employer, they often call the recruiter who has an interest in farming them out again to another employer. So a woman who might have escaped hoping to return home might just be sent to another Malaysian employer. Or um, in some cases, they go to the Cambodian embassy, which has really fallen short of, of what it should be doing. And, and the Cambodian embassy has actually sent these women back to their recruiters instead of protecting them. And many of these women aren't even told that there is a Cambodian embassy. Well, why hasn't the Cambodian government uh, tried to protect its own citizens? Is it simply that the remittances... Uh, that these people send home are important to the economy of Cambodia? They are going to be increasingly important if Cambodia pursues this policy of uh, labor migration. Basically, there haven't been a lot of Cambodians going abroad and sending money home, but the numbers are, are increasing, and it's clear that the Cambodian government would like to set even higher and higher targets of sending more women abroad. Although the Cambodian government... Uh, has announced a ban on sending domestic workers to Malaysia. Do you think that'll be effective? These bans often sound like a good idea, but they're not very effective. One of the reasons is that women and recruiters often go 
outside formal channels, and the women are often at greater risk of abuse when they're going outside of a ban. Secondly, it's not really putting a lot of pressure on Malaysia to improve protections. But aren't there international labor regulations? As there were some passed just this last June. That's right. There was a huge victory for domestic workers' rights this year. Uh, governments around the world, trade unions around the world, came together and negotiated the first global labor standards for domestic workers. It was an exciting moment, uh, and it did a lot to uh, set about what what these standards should be and to guarantee these workers the same rights as as other workers. But there's a long road ahead in terms of getting governments to to adopt them and enforce them. And Cambodia and Malaysia haven't ratified the new treaty. So does it not apply to them as because of that? Yes, they need to first ratify the treaty before they're legally bound to it. But what they will find is that as other countries do ratify and enforce it, uh, they will feel the pressure to to do so as well. We have a link to a Human Rights Watch's report about the exploitation of domestic workers on our show page at WNYC.org. And my great thanks to uh, Nisha Varia, a senior researcher for Human Rights Watch, for coming by today to talk about this situation, the exploitation of Cambodian domestic workers on today's second underreported segment. Thank you so much. Thank you.